Luke chapter 11, we'll be reading verses 5 through 13. We'll also be reading from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. First, Luke 11, verse 5. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though, if you, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now turning to Luke chapter 18 beginning at verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at the distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A sentence, the reading of God's word. It might be helpful, in fact, I would recommend turning in the back of the Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 45. It's on page 57 in the back of the Psalter hymnal. We'll work through this, the summary of God's word and what it teaches there on prayer. I know that, though I haven't been here, I know that at Faith we've been going through a series on prayer, and I thought that it would be good to go through the, what the Catechism has to say on it as well. So, Lord's Day 45. Why do Christians need to pray? And the answer, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. What did God command us to pray for? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the, Lord, in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is this prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. People of God, Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He also said, prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church. It is a goodly Christian weapon. Love the way they talk then. It's a goodly Christian weapon. Well, I wonder, do we struggle with prayer? Do we struggle with this this fundamental principle, this fundamental doctrine, this fundamental activity of a Christian life in prayer? You know, you might ask yourself, and many Christians do ask themselves, why do we pray? This is what the Catechism itself asks. Why do we pray? You know, to some, the question is, why would we pray? Because it doesn't seem to do anything. For some of us, it's, well, why do we pray? I just can't think of it. It just doesn't cross my mind. Some of us struggle with prayer because we think, what good does it do to a God who's sovereign and in control? Isn't, isn't everything planned out? The future's determined. We'll reach that God-appointed end. So what do my prayers ultimately do? Are they efficacious? Do they do anything? These are the questions that all of us will wrestle with at times. It's hard. It's hard dealing with prayer and, and what, what's going on there. But the question still remains, why do we pray? I once heard one minister answer it this way, we pray because, God ple- because it pleases God, because God likes it when we communicate with him. That's very true. No, we would never want to doubt that. The catechism doesn't doubt that. We pray because it does please God. God does like it when we communicate with him, but yet that answer is kind of hollow, maybe a little wooden, a little, does that get at it all? Does that answer everything? Do we just pray because God enjoys it and that's it? What our catechism shows us is no. In answering the questions, why do we pray, how do we pray, and what do we pray, it's leading us to this point. This is the theme of the message. This is where it's all, it's all trying to get us at. Prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. Prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. And everything that's said is an overflow of that, an outflow of that, and works into that. So first, the question is, why do Christians need to pray? Now, notice how the catechism does phrase this. And as we go through the catechism, we need to remember that what the catechism is, is taking all the doctrine of God's word on prayer and explaining it. It's a summary of what the Bible has to say about prayer. And so that's what it's doing. It's saying, why do Christians need to pray? It didn't say... Why can Christians pray? Why should Christians pray? It's why do Christians need to pray? There is, a, there is a need here. There's a command to pray that we have. We see it in God's word. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 to 18. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. That's the command. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. And so we could say in one answer, why do we pray? Well, God commands it. And yet we can go deeper. I titled, the title of this message is, is Prayer a Spare Tire? That's taken from a quote from Corey Ten Boom, who asked, is prayer your steering wheel 
or your spare tire. For many of us, far from being the device that guides our life, from steering us around, from directing us where we should go, prayer becomes the spare tire that's hidden away in the trunk. We don't pull it out until something bad happens. We have a flat, okay, pull off the road, let's take this prayer out of the trunk, let's pray it to God, because we need it. Something bad has happened. Or we, we, we thought of something we want, and so we reach back and we bring it out. But for many of us, prayer isn't that. For many of us, prayer, I mean, for many of us, prayer is that. It's the spare tire and not the steering wheel. Prayer must be our steering wheel. It must be what guides us. The Catechism gives two reasons for this. First, the reason prayer is so important, the reason Christians are to pray is that it's to express thanksgiving. That's what the Catechism says in in its answer, because prayer is the most important part of the thanksgiving God requires of us. When we start thinking of prayer as a, a means of getting something, we've already kind of misunderstood it. And I'm not trying to to downplay that. We'll see as we go on that prayer is a means of getting something. Prayer does bring about requests. But that's not why we actually pray. We pray because we express thanksgiving through it. Because we praise God through it. And that right there redirects our thinking about prayer. Prayer is the way we draw near to God and thank Him. And praise Him. And you know, as we do that, as we, can, as we look around our lives, as we count our blessings to see what we should be thankful for, we see God at work all, all the more. We see him in every circumstance because we're looking for ways to be thankful and we see it more. We see how we are to praise God. We see what he's doing and how he's active. And all of that keeps us and helps us draw near to our Father because we're mindful of him. We're thinking of him. One way in which we accomplish this is by, yes, thinking of ways to pray, but by being embedded in God's word. You see, when you encounter God in his word, you can't help but pray. As you continue to delve into those riches, your prayer life is enriched. You think more and more of the necessity to pray, why we need to pray, the importance of it. This is why we pray, to thank God. And ultimately, that's thanks that is coming from thanksgiving in Christ. And what he's done, because we can struggle with counting our blessings. You know, I've tried to do that too, where you, you pray and you're thinking, okay, what am I thankful for? And then there's a long pause, and you're like, I know I have a lot to be thankful for, but it, I'm just, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to, to put it into prayer. It's a struggle to think about. Well, when you think of the riches that you have been given in Christ, You can think about it. You can think of ways to be thankful. Redemption. The faith he's given us. The glorification that awaits us. The adoption that we have in him. We should turn to the spiritual, the heavenly realities that's true of us in Christ and our union with him, that we belong to him, and thus we pray in thanksgiving. Prayer isn't just about us. It's about God as all things are. And so we thank him. We thank him for everything. The second reason the catechism gives is this is where we get at what we receive through it. 
The Catechism says, We pray because God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking for these gifts and thanking Him for them. Where we see this is what we read in Luke 11. Luke 11 and verse 10 says, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Prayer is not a raffle ticket. It's not a lottery ticket. It's not something we, we, we buy or something we throw out there and we hope that it will come back and be answered, that the, by the luck of the draw that we might finally get our requests. No, God promises in his word to answer our prayer. But what are we praying for? that the Holy Spirit would be more in us, that he would fill us all the more, that we would receive more grace. That's what we ask for in prayer. That's what we're promised will be given. That's not to say we can't pray for the, the, the things in our life that we're dealing with. We should. But look at the, the depth of what we have in prayer and can pray for. God will not deny the Holy Spirit from his children who ask. That passage from Luke 11 is showing that to a friend and to a neighbor, when you go to him and you bang on his door at night, he won't answer you because he loves you. He'll answer you to get rid of you. And the point of the passage isn't to say that that's what God's like, that we have to continue to pester him in prayer for him to give it to us. What it's saying is that if that friend will grant the request because he wants to get rid of you, how much more will a loving father grant the request of his children who ask it for the right reason? passage is saying he absolutely will answer that prayer. He absolutely will give it. And we have that assurance. That's the confidence that we have when we draw near to God in prayer. A promise from him that whoever seeks, find. Whoever knocks, the door will be open. It says it in God's word. And so we pray because we want to be thankful to God. We pray because through it we receive grace and through it we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that when we're, we don't have the Holy Spirit, like we lose him and then we have to ask for him again. The Holy Spirit indwells us, but we can be ever more filled with him. We can ever be more filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And those are the, the, the requests we make. Those are the things we pray for, the fruit of the Spirit. And God answers those prayers. He promises to answer those prayers. We need to trust that. Luke says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And just stop and think of that. What are you receiving when you pray? The Holy Spirit. That's not some just light thing. That's not like, oh, that's, that's a good benefit to prayer. Wonderful. We get the Holy Spirit through it. The, you, you get God through it. Serving the theme of the message, prayer is a means by which we draw near to God. We draw ever nearer to him because the Holy Spirit fills us all the more when we ask, when we make those requests. and means that we always will receive it. In commentating on this, one commentator said, Although to pray is to ask, prayer is not a means of getting what we want, 
It is a means of becoming what God wants us to be. Ultimately, prayer is not a search for things, but for communion. Union with God. Drawing near to Him. And that's what prayer is. That's why we must exercise it. If you think prayer is something to do to receive, again, which we do, we do receive through it, but if that's all it is, then prayer is a meaningless thing when you don't feel like you need anything. Prayer becomes empty when things are going well. When, it's not, when the spare is not needed, we don't think about the spare. And yet when we think of it as this tool, as this means of drawing near to God through every circumstance, all of a sudden it becomes the steering wheel of our life. It is what guides us and directs us. And it is something that needs to be done every moment. That doesn't mean that we live in a constant state of praying that we can't function. It means prayer is always on our minds. It means we're always offering up a prayer of thanks. It means we're seeing what's in front of us in the light of prayer. And we bring it to our Father who says to, in, elsewhere in his word, cast all on me, bring all your requests to me. That's what prayer is. The greatest joy of prayer isn't that you can ask a genie in the sky for what you want or wish. The greatest joy of prayer is that through it you draw near to God. It's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful means that's before us as his people. You don't ask a, a newly dating couple why they text each other. Why do they call each other? What, you, you wouldn't ask one, what's the benefit of talking to this person? What do you get out of it? Well, why would you, you, you understand? You say they love each other. All they care about is each other. Sometimes too much we can recognize in dating. But that serves as an illustration that what you get out of communication is a relationship. What you get out of prayer to God is a deeper relationship. And that's why we would do it. That's why we would want to do it. So we pray because we are thankful. We pray because we receive the Holy Spirit and we receive grace through it. We also pray because it's the means by which God has ordained to bring about his will. I said in the beginning that some Christians find it hard to pray because they think, if God's sovereign, what's the point? Why would we pray? It's going to happen. Everything's going to happen. God's planned it. Well, that doesn't understand what's going on here. You see, God is sovereign, and he has planned all, and it will come about. But your prayers are included in that. You see, God not only ordained the outcome of the prayer, he ordained the prayer that was the reason he was going to answer it. God's sovereign over it all. He ordained what we would ask. And so as Christians, we ask. We make the request to God because that is the means by which he carries out his will in response to us through his working in us working out his will in us, and so we make our requests. And that's why prayer is so wonderful and why the sovereignty of God works in prayer because would we want to pray to a God that's not sovereign? Would we direct our prayers to a God that can't actually do it or answer it? No. We direct our prayers to a God who can change, or I should say bring about what, what we ask, and is a God who's loving 
who loves us and will not deny the appropriate requests of his people. That's the richness of prayer. And so we see, why do Christians pray? And then the catechism asks the next following logical question, okay, if that's why we pray, then how do we pray? How do we do this? There are three ways to, three points to the answer, and they can be helpfully summarized as first, well, through these three characteristics of proper prayer. The first characteristic of proper prayer is sincerity. Prayers must be sincere. The second characteristic is that prayers must be humble. And the third is that prayers must be offered in trust. And we'll look at these. The first point, the sincerity. The catechism says prayers are from the heart. That's the first characteristic of proper prayer. We see this in our reading from Luke 18. We see two men who go to pray. And when they pray, there's two very different prayers, two very different spirits, and two very different outcomes. The Pharisee prays a prayer designed to glorify himself, praising himself. Look at how great I am. Thank you that I'm not like these Actually, you don't see any of the characteristics of proper prayer there. You don't see sincerity. You don't see humility. You don't see true trust. And so, the passage ends with, the tax collector is the one whose prayers are heard, not the Pharisee. We are called to pray from the heart. We are called to pray with true meaning. Truly desiring it, truly meaning it. Psalm 145, verses 18 through 20 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The Lord listens to the sincere prayers of his saints. We know this. The Bible says it. And so we pray from the heart. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't pray if we don't feel sincere. If you're not feeling sincere, the answer is, well, then I better wait. The answer is not, I better wait until I feel sincere, and then I'll pray. No, what we do then is we pray that God would make us feel sincere and make us be sincere in our prayers. We pray that God would make us want to want to pray correctly. The answer is never not to pray. It's to work on the sincerity of our prayers. It's to work on praying from the heart. So that's the first condition. The second condition of proper prayer is that it be humble. This is also clearly seen in our text with the tax collector and with the Pharisee. What does it say? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he, but he beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went down to his house justified. All throughout God's word, you hear the call that God hears the humble, that God will be with the humble. God will answer the prayers of the humble. Now, as we're going through these, we shouldn't think that, okay, if I do these characteristics, I can manipulate prayer to get what I want. That's not what it is. What this is, is the prayers of the saints, true prayer. True prayer is sincere, and true prayer is humble. It's recognizing your place before God. The tax collector would not lift up his eyes because he knew he was unworthy. 
He knew he was a sinner, and that's the other aspect of humility that we must come before God with, the knowledge of our sin. The knowledge that we aren't just here to shoot the breeze with God. We aren't here to just have a nice conversation. We're here because we need it. We're here because we're sinners. We're broken and we're weak. That's how we approach God in prayer. That is what proper prayer is. A knowledge of our sin and an appropriate humility in response to that. The third condition for proper prayer is that it be offered in complete trust. Now the other two, I think we can, it's hard for us to do, but we understand. We understand that you must be sincere in what you're asking, that it must be coming from your heart and true desire. We also understand that prayer must be humble, that we are not God, that we are his servants. But it's hard for us to understand how to confidently draw before God in prayer at times. Because again, the nagging question in the back of our minds is how can we have confidence when we don't always receive what we pray for? Every one of us has prayed for, I'm guessing, has prayed for something for many years and haven't received it. Praying for a certain job, a change in job, praying for a spouse, praying for healing, whatever it is. Praying and praying and praying and you don't receive it. And then you would think, wouldn't that destroy the confidence that we would have in prayer? Does that not make us doubt that what's the purpose of it and point of it? Well, we've already been answering that, but we can answer this as well. We are to draw near to God in confidence. Why? Because we come through the Son. Every prayer we offer is a prayer brought by our intercessor, Jesus Christ. And so when we doubt our prayer, when we doubt that God will hear it or that God will answer it, we are in a way doubting that we have a sufficient intercessor. We are in a way doubting that our prayer will be heard, that God will answer it. Now, yes, there are some things that we pray for that are wrong. And we need to recognize that. We need to be able to see that when you ask, as the Pharisee did, if you prayed in that manner and asked for something wrong, God's not going to answer that. But when you are praying for God's will to be done, God always answers that. Maybe not in giving us what we wanted, but giving us what we needed. And that's why we have confidence. When we approach God, we aren't doing this on our own worthiness, on our own merit, but on Christ's. So that makes us draw near to God in complete confidence and trust. Knowing that we are heard, that we have access to our Father. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But then, okay, we are to be confident. We are to trust, but what about the times our requests aren't heard, it seems? Well, like I already said, first we need to be asking for the right reasons. James 4.3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We need to know that sometimes we make requests of God that aren't correct and will not be answered. And we, we, we recognize that. We know that we can't just we can't manipulate God. 
You can't ask for something against his will. You can't do something wrong. You can't ask for the wrong reasons and expect for it to be answered. This makes sense. But the other thing we need to recognize is there is a, there's a slight distinction to make when we pray for spiritual blessings and when we pray for the temporal things that are in this life. When we pray for the Holy Spirit, when we pray for grace, as we already heard, we will always receive it. When you pray for repentance, you will always receive that answer. It will always be answered. But there are times in which we pray for, like I said, the temporal things in this life, for the jobs and the health and these things that are around us, for safety and travel. What about these kind of things? Even in them, we have confidence. Confidence in the fact that God knows what we need and will grant it. Because ultimately our prayers are not about getting what we want, it's about bringing about God's will, it's about seeking first his kingdom. And when we make these temporal requests for whatever it be, our health, our job, we understand that we're asking that in light of God's kingdom and his purpose. And thus every request we bring, God answers for our good and his glory. And so we ask with confidence even that we would find that job, even that we would find that spouse, even that we would be healed, understanding that that doesn't mean we will get that thing, but we are told by God to bring these things before him. And he does answer. He does provide often in ways that were not according to what we thought we'd get. And then we see, oh, that was God's will, and look how glorious it is. And this is why we draw near with confidence. This is what we have. This catechism has asked, how do we pray? Why do we pray? How do we pray? And then it, in the third question and answer, it asks, what do we pray for? We're not going to go into this tonight other than to highlight how glorious it is and how loving a God we have in the answer. You know, again, we might think, that, okay, this means we have a very limited amount that we can ask God for. That's not the case. What should we pray for? Everything we need, spiritually and physically. That covers everything. We pray for everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord taught us. And this is only biblical, what the Catechism is saying. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, notice, thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Bring everything before God. He does not limit what we bring before him. We are just called to pray properly, to seek him properly. Now, it would be easy to end here and say, Okay, go do it. Go and do likewise. This is what we have to do. And yet we know that we are not perfect. We know that we forget to pray. We know that we pray for wrong things. We know that we don't think of proper prayer. Then what? If we, if we fail to do one of these characteristics, does that neglect our prayer? Does that just mean, okay, that prayer is, is, is garbage? Because we didn't, we didn't do the right things. We didn't put in the right answers, the right numbers, and so God won't hear it. No. John Calvin has a wonderful statement. I know I've been quoting a lot of things. This, this is one of those sermons that has a lot of quotes, but I think they help. John Calvin says about prayer, No one has ever carried this out with the uprightness 
that it was due. But God tolerates even our stammering and pardons our ignorance, allowing us to gain familiarity with him in prayer, though, and note this, though it be in a babbling manner. What Kelvin's talking about is we come before God like infants, babbling, muttering, and God hears us still. God is a gracious God. This is why we pray. Through all this, we draw near to him. This is why we would bring our request to God. We're thankful for what he's done. We need grace and the Holy Spirit. We desire to come before God and lay all of our burdens upon him and bring about his will by us asking for it. We pray because we want to draw closer to our Father. And we must rest on what is the unshakable foundation that all our prayers come through Christ. As the Catechism says, even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. What a wonderful way of summarizing what Scripture says. Our prayers are brought through Christ. Our prayer life is rooted in Christ. This is why a Christian prays. Amen. Let's pray now. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can exercise right now such a wonderful thing. That we can come before you, drawing near to your throne room, bringing our thanksgiving and our praises that we know you hear, making our requests that we know you will grant according to your purposes and your will, which is the way we would have it anyways. We thank you that you are sovereign, that we pray to you, a loving Father, who not only would and is loving enough to carry out our requests, but powerful enough to do it as well. We pray that you would grant our requests that you would grant a deeper and stronger prayer life for all of us. We all possess, to varying degrees, a strength and a maturity in prayer, but we pray that for each one of us here, you would deepen the prayer life that we have. That as we go out from here, as we go out into this week, we would pray. That we would pray with sincerity, we would pray with humility, that we'd pray with trust. And all of this we pray... And all of this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.